Hello and welcome to this week's Oxcast. Uh, the date today is 14th of September and we are broadcasting live from the Garden of Big Society, our esteemed neighbours on Crowley Road. It's pretty much our excuse to be outdoors on this gorgeous day. And have a lovely early afternoon beer. Mm. Or early afternoon iced coffee in my case. Otherwise I'd be indisposed in for the rest of the day. It's the downside of recording for a pub is that I'm noticing it stuck to all the tables. Uh, today, Mike's going to be telling us about the musical goings on and amazing market things. Today, we'll have all kinds of Roald Dahl related bands. But to start off, a roundup of some theatrical happenings. Um, a play that just opened last night at the Old Fire Station and is running until Saturday is Brief Lives, which is a woman's show by John Aubrey, who's grandly called here the father of uh, modern biography. A little bit of a uh, Samuel Pepys type character, but um, this biographer to the stars and to the less starry types. Um, in it, John Aubrey is played by Colin Burney, who you might recognise if you saw the OTG's version of Christmas Carol uh, when he scrooged it up royally. Uh, <laughs> it was to Burney, um, actually to John Aubrey himself, that uh, KD managed to get an interview, which I think is a bit of a coup, seeing as he's been dead for a few hundred years. Hello, John. Welcome to the future. Good morning, mistress. <laughs> How long were you based at Oxford for? For, uh, for a very short time, because in 1642, uh, war thundered, and uh, the Civil War, you know, my, and my father summoned me home. But eventually, with much ado, I got my father to let me back to my, to my beloved Oxford again. <laughs> oh, uh, then it was a garrison for the king. And uh, when I was a freshman, I was wont to go to Christ Church to see King Charles I at supper. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, with, with many of the, uh, the king's party, I grew acquainted. And some of them I, I knew before, of course. Um, yeah. Captain Carlo Phantom. Yeah. Oh, he was uh, a Croat. Yeah. He spoke 13 languages. 13 languages. Yes, he was, uh, he was very quarrelsome. And... Um, a very great ravisher. Oh, ravisher. Yes, I yes. I have made a book of lives. Ah. Oh, oh, twill be a pretty thing, for I, for I spare neither friend nor foe, but <laughs> I'm a religious tell-truth. <laughs> what makes your work of the lives different from gossip? Well, you see, um, I have spoken to the people I... Uh, I write about yeah. many of them, and um, some of them, like Queen Elizabeth, who died long before I was born. Um, I have spoken to men who uh, who knew her. Oh, on one occasion, uh, Edward de Vere, Edward de Vere, the Earl of Oxford, in making his low obeisance to Queen Elizabeth, <laughs> happened to let a fart. <laughs> at which, at, yes, at which he was so abashed and ashamed he went to travel. <laughs> Seven years. <laughs> yeah. On his return, the Queen welcomed him and she cried, Ah, my Lord! <laughs> we have forgot the fart. <laughs> oh, uh, yes, Queen Elizabeth could swear like a, like a trooper, do you say, these days. Yes. Uh, so that's John, and you can hear more from John and indeed something from Colin uh, in our Oxcast Extra. Full interview. So it all, uh, the action all happens in the course of one day, and 
So he like recounts the lives and drops some anecdotes about uh, everyone he's met and researched and sort of diary of a nobody like he just doodles about and you know apparently he like, uses a chamber pot which is, I think is a bit of that. But yeah, he's a really fun character. Um, if you would like to like to know a little bit more information, there's a review on our site right now. Um, and if you want to go, that's happening at the Old Fire Station at 7.30 each night, Wednesday to Saturday this week. Tickets are £15 and £12 concessions. Uh, a quick look at a couple of other theatre choices. Um, Disintegration Loops is a new play by an arts lab writing graduate, and you can see the first performances this Friday and Saturday at 7 pm the North Wall. But it's directed by Iqbal Khan, who has been uh, developing this play with uh, some emerging the unknown artists and actors. So he's, yeah, can usually be found directing Shakespeare at the Globe. You heard about his much to do but nothing said in Delhi, or Othello, where it's made headlines for casting a, a black Iago. Amazingly, I did hear about that. Yeah. That's cool. Um, yeah, he likes to mix it up in Shakespeare terms. But this piece um, is rehearsed in a pretty intensive week-long session with trained and untrained actors. And the play itself is called The Disintegration Loops. Uh, it sees its lead female character move through disaffection to fanaticism. Um, and it shares the title uh, with collected experimental music from William Basinski, the avant-garde guy who's the masterwork was inspired by leaving a loop running on his digital recorder uh, one day and like, finding the magnetized tape degrading. So it's all themes of repetition and degradation. Uh, yeah, that's something that comes after. I've not heard of that. I must do. Indeed, it's like very early 21st century. Um, yeah, please check that out. It's on Friday and Saturday of this week at 7 North Wall. Tickets are £8. Involved. Finally, um, 64 Squares is also in the North Wales next Tuesday. Um, it's built as a tale of madness, memory, and chess. Of course, 64 Squares. It's performed by three actors and a drummer. Hey guys, what's the jazz called that? What? Three musicians and a drummer. Oh no! And Andy rhythm section do again. They do. Mm. How many non-musicians tell that joke? All of them. Three. <laughs> Zing! The zingers are flying. So the lead character um, wants to tell you uh, how he's ended up on a cruise ship playing chess against the current world champion. Um, unfortunately, he's been split into four constituent personalities. I can't remember what happened. I hate when that happens. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, adapted from Stefan's wide Royal game. This. So been running at the Edinburgh Friends this summer, got good reviews from Time Out and The Guardian, and having produced Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde a couple of years ago, um, the company are accustomed to exploring these um, themes of split personality. That's quite a neat thing to be good at portraying. Yeah, oh, they've, they've, they've done other stuff, but um, it reminds me of Christopher Nolan, as everything does. Pretty much can't go through a day without being a Christopher Nolan. If you want to see something beautifully put together, intelligent, and moodily atmospheric, as The Guardian says with its four-star review, and then it goes to the North Wall on Tuesday. It gets our £14 and £12 concession ones. Music this week. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff going on. Now that summer's over, people are back at school and university starting, it's all ramping up again, so get excited. You're not on holiday anymore. 
So to whiz through a couple of things, uh, the Oxford Beard Festival is back again this weekend. Beards. Uh, we covered it last year in the podcast, so go and check out our archives for deeper detail. But this year it is the bands Beard of Destiny, Cherokee, Texas Ghost Train, Stem, Superloose, Daisy West and the Scarlet Vixens. Um, it's really a weekend of live music, cabaret and facial hair. <laughs> Um, I think last year they had a beard contest, didn't they? So I assume that's happening again. I think they have prizes for different styles and approaches to beard growing, mm. including yes. for bearded ladies. Flats. Do you know what would be an interesting one that Dave might win? The mm. shortest beard. Mm. Excellent. A bit of scruff going on at the moment. Would you like to rub your stubble it's against got, the microphone? It's going to get a couple of micrometers. It's quite impressive. <laughs> um, but that's at the James Street Tavern uh, both days this weekend from noon onwards. Um, also, a festival thing is the Orchestra of St John's Music at the Abbey, which is a Dorchester Abbey, lovely little church in the village. A few little things that are going on. There's um, some jazz from the Derek Paravicini Quartet, uh, Brian's Requiem, some solo recitals, and including a panpipe recital. Uh, but not music for panpipes, um, translating other solo works into panpipe stuff. So there's some bark and some brandy. Oh, cool. That is cool. Get away from sort of new age vibe that pan pipes are always restricted to. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, those events are starting this Thursday and are extending way into the next few weeks. So um, check out their website and ours for more. Also, on Saturday is the Asylum Sound International Music Day and Family Activities. Um, this is put on by Whitney Refugee Action and Asylum Sound. Um, so it's a fundraiser for Asylum Welcome. Uh, they're a really, really nice Oxford charity who um, do advocacy stuff for asylum seekers and refugees uh, to work directly in the entertainment centres and do really fantastic stuff. Um, and it's a fun day sort of activities and kids like some crafts and stuff, but um, music-wise, there are Brickwork Lizards, who are a local semi-folky band, um, Brightworks, Jelly Philly Kisoka, who is always um, is, oh, not for the staple. He's at Wood Festival every year, he's lots of fun. Plays um, Cora. Yeah, yeah, he plays with Cora. Yeah, Woody sometimes does Cora workshops. He's cool. And then Cora with the thumb piano. No, that's a kalimba. Okay, Cora is the gourd. Yeah, the gourd. The gourd. Oh yes, the gourd. Mike's sexy thumb dance. It's a sight to behold, everyone. Well, starting at one at the Rock Barn on Whitney High Street. A bit of a way, but head over it'd be worth it. And also Intermezzo Chamber Choir are having their autumn concerts this week. Um, Intermezzo are there for the university choral people that, um, well, when they, it's out of term, they've got no to sing, and all the grad students and staff and everything, they still want to sing, so there's an Intermezzo Choir. Um, and they're quite good, really, because it's a collection of very good singers from across the university. This is a concert of Chamber Choir music <laughs> from Scandinavia, the Baltic, and Russia. Uh, it's an interesting one because lots of choral composers at the moment are looking towards epic landscapes and nature uh, for inspirational things to frame their pieces around. And so lots turn to Scandinavia because it's quite wild still and the light's very interesting. And they'll go once and go, oh, I'm terribly influenced by it. But Scandinavian composers obviously do the same, but it takes on a whole different agenda because they're from the environment and they're invested in what it means to train. Um, so a couple of pieces to focus on. I mean, there are different approaches to how the Scandinavian composers look at it. As there's Eschenwald, who they're performing his piece Northern Lights, which is really quite a traditional work. 
and is kind of a poem about the Northern Lights. Uh, there's also a Sandstrom work called Yoik to the Mountain Wind. <laughs> Yoik. I cannot be at all confident of the pronunciation of that. Is that a sound? Is that, I'm pretty sure I saw that caption on the wall here. Saying <laughs> <laughs> Next to Paul. Right opposite Chuff. <laughs> But Yoik is um, it's a northern Swedish style of folk singing. It's it's quite like the chanting of Native Americans, I don't think. Um, is there folk singing involved? Almost, it's that quite throaty, rough sound. Yes, according to the Sami oral tradition, the fairies and the elves of the Arctic land gave Yoik to the Sami people. So very, very odd, very, very cool. Yoik. But the, yeah, the most of it, so Sandstrom by using that kind of thing, and it happens a lot of his other works, is. He focuses an awful lot on folk traditions and naturalism in a way that was really, really popular um, with nationalist composers around the turn of the century, the uh, 20th century days. And it was because Austria Germany had a really, very central classical music tradition and everyone else was trying to carve their own path in this increasingly saturated world. Um, and so, 100 years later, we now have postmodernists that are still struggling for self-expression but because there are increased themes of the environment, it's sustainability music now, to an eco-music, um, it's interesting that people are going back to that kind of thing. And it's not done in the same way. So, 100 years ago, the nationalist composers, they really focused on motifs from folk music and uh, tried to describe big castles and stuff in quite an imperialistic way, but also in an invented way, and in a way that almost made it seem like the exotic. So the music was designed for Central European concert halls, and you'd be like, oh, yes, Wonderful, because it has this lovely motif that comes from the other folk traditions. <laughs> um, but Soundstrom doesn't really use it that way. Instead of taking his music and inserting things into it, it's really to do with the York tradition and how he has interpreted it, and it's really strung around it, this piece. But yes, uh, so that's the Intermezzo concert on the Saturday at 7.30. It's £9, £6 concessions at this SJE Next, we're going to be talking about an event that is closer to London than it is to Oxford, but will be worth it for reasons that will become obvious. Children's author Roald Dahl was born 100 years ago this week, and to celebrate Dahl Day, the Roald Dahl Museum in the village of Great Missenden in Buckinghamshire, where he spent most of his life, is putting on a series of events on Saturday the 17th of September, full of face painting, magic, guided trails, delumptuous treats, and much more besides. After spending World War II in the RAF, Dahl settled in Great Western Den and wrote his most famous children books, including Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, James and the Giant Peach, the Twits, all of the classics. And they, Great Western Den provided a real-life inspiration for a lot of Dahl's works. The caravan that Danny and his dad live in, in Danny Champion of the World, is based on a real Romani gypsy caravan that Dahl bought in the 1960s and converted into a play den for his kids. Dahl's home was also located near an old beech tree known as the Witch's Tree that he used to walk past with his kids telling them that the spot just underneath the trunk was where a certain fantastic Mr. Fox used to live. What's your favourite World Dahl book, Liz? I think, as I've probably reminisced winsomely about on this podcast before, uh, as my brother and I used to like read World Dahl books on a Saturday morning before my parents got up. Uh, it was fun. This was, we didn't have television back in the 90s. Yes, we did. So, yeah, so we, we, did, we did go through the twists, which... Trip, what we would have done pretty well beard best actually oh 100% uh, but George's Marvelous Medicine somehow is the, the touchstone to keep going back to well I was telling you about this earlier that it's quite a little known book the sequel to Charlie and Chocolate Factory Charlie and Great Glass Elevator which uh, 
now I think about it, I don't really remember what happens, but they're definitely going to space. Oh, yeah. There are definitely some aliens called the Vermicious Canids. Who are like or maybe sloppy. I think they're, they're quite ephemeral creatures that are generally everything disgusting you can think of. Oh, yeah. It was interesting you said that um, the lots of Radha stories, he told his children that they were about real places and whatever, mm. because... I think he was a really entertaining father and grandfather. I've heard stories from his grandchildren that um, they went to stay with him at midnight and take them to uh, stand underneath the railway bridge at the end of his road to hear the last train come over and tell stories. That's awesome. He also... Name-dropping there, Mike. You know his grandkids? No. No, <laughs> no red, red interview. No. <laughs> Best Dal. friends with Sophie Dow. Daladine, guys. Daladine. Uh, <laughs> this is rolled gold. <laughs> <laughs> um, in my experience most people say Matilda's their favourite uh, but to be honest um, the Matilda in the story was only the second most important Matilda in my childhood coming second of course after Matilda the house robot from Robot Wars um, <laughs> which according to Robot Wiki is inspired by a dinosaur alien mutant that would have been such a different she, she, she was a good one. She was no Sergeant Bash. So. <laughs> Took her a long way. And altogether a different kind of shunt. Mm. Anyway, to get back to Dal Day, the Dal Museum in Great Britain is putting on a range of activities for kids, including a smell-centric walk around the museum, the mm. centenary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What they did. Get it? Uh, storytelling by their in-house storyteller, illustrators doing gobble funk. Uh, you have to go to find out what that means. Um, guided trails around the village, write your own poetry workshops, food in the Twit Cafe, <laughs> face painting, blue modelling, and much more. You uh, absolutely need to book in advance. They made that very clear on their website. Go to the website to book. We'll give them a call. Tickets are £6.60 for adults and £4.40 for kids over five. Infants are free. Or you can pay £21 for a family ticket for two adults and three kids. Events start at 11 o'clock and go on until 5pm. If you don't make it over there on Saturday though, um, the Royal Dahl Museum has events all the time for kids, so it's a great place to go over to. And if you're up for a, a family cinema trip at the weekend, I don't know if this is a coincidence or not, but you can still see the BFG at cinemas. Um, and kids Club at the Phoenix uh, is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory on Saturday, and they're having an autism-friendly screening of Fantastic Mr. Fox later as well. So it's a Dahl Fest in the Phoenix too. I'd like to take this random moment to give a shout out to the Oxford Saints as well. We tend to mention our very own Middle English American football team who on Sunday won the Division 2 South title against Cambridge. Yes, Oxford. Um, seeing as we speak to you um, on the Highway Road at lunchtime, I thought, why not? Extremely spontaneous idea. Such a spontaneous idea. I thought, because, you know, you respect our opinions so very much, dear listeners. Um, I'd ask you guys, what's your top lunch spot on the Cali Road? I mean, my heart will always go to Rick's. Really? Mmm. Is it their amazing sandwiches? It's the sandwiches, it's the breakfasts, it's the crepes, Mm. the the macarons. I remember the day that me and Mike went for a hungover little brunch there. Just a little romantic brunch for two of us. I thought that was all. We dined on the <laughs> Door 74 hasn't back in that spot. Are they closing down? Door 74 is already closed down. Yeah. I am actually the spot. Um, it's so nice. So speaking of Door 74, uh, we also have the announcement, which has already been made, that uh, Wahoo and Glee Club and Warehouse are all closing down at the end of the year. Due to a another college development from the Field College under Christchurch I think 
the Wahoo and Through is a classic night out. Wahoo and Through. Eat your dinner there, go clubbing there. Well, if all my favourite lunch places are closing down there, at least Beetroot is still around. Um, I love Beetroot. It's my, my especially like takeaway lunch of choice. 350, my goodness, for a like bursting little orb full of four salads of your choice. Yeah, all the bloomy beetrooty goodness. Salad orb? Yeah, it's a salad orb. It's not built as such, but I think of it like that. Also fairly new is Vinny's Cafe. Which is opposite Huru and next to Melly. Um, fantastic paninis, uh, great sandwiches, great food in general, and super cheap as well. Mm, nice sweet things. Or indeed, big society. Or indeed, big society, in which we're currently located. Um, I think we should draw this now burgeoning Oxford gossip section to a close. <laughs> Ox goss. <laughs> All your latest rumours up. Ah, yes, but a more ephemeral eating mm. venue <laughs> on the nice. road is the East Oxford Farmer's Market. Glorious. I got some potent cheese from there. Um, yeah, they source local food from within 30 miles, which is very good. And it's lots of, well, farmers come along and sell produce that uh, they want to sell. So lots of good veg, lots of stuff. But they also all means to call that a farmer's market. The, yes, you almost could, Dick. <laughs> but also, there's, there's lots of food stores that turn up and sell food. Um, so this week, for example, you've got Salad Days. Amazing name. A dazzling array of salads, I'm told. But uh, Jericho Coffee Traders go. So lots of really exciting foods. <laughs> um, but it's also, this weekend, their 10th anniversary. Uh, which is quite amazing, actually. That's an awful lot of markets. An awful lot. I wonder if they could work out how much veg has been sold. Oh my goodness. How many tons? That's a lot of greenery. So there's loads of celebration stuff. There's live music from Willowbrook Farm's own Adam Latif trio. Free tea and birthday cake, made by their own Nadine Shan. Oh, okay. uh, and the unveiling of their special edition birthday mugs, designed by the children of the primary school. Mm. Yeah, that'd be lovely. Um, and if you're curious, this week's featured trader is the North Aston Dairy. They always have much more than just milk. <laughs> Usually cream, yogurt, ice cream, and often rosé veal. What's that? Uh, wine. No, it's veal that looks slightly more ethical veal. Uh, the cars have been allowed to run around outside instead of being stuck inside. Oh. Um, and this week they have fresh beef offal, which is incredibly nutrition tasty. I'm told. <laughs> I was looking up some awful recipes, which I think actually we... Sorry, awful recipes or... Awful, awful recipes. I think it's been featured a few times on the podcast. It comes up, it's been a theme of this year. Uh, it was about two months ago, there was an awfully themed podcast. We're a little bit inert obsessed here. We are, well, it's a very ecological way to eat meat. If you eat all the animals, then you waste a lot less. And this harks back to mine and Dave's lamb heart excursion last year, <laughs> uh, which went quite well. It was amazing. Yeah, but yeah. Dave is now a vegetarian, so you can judge for yourself how well that went. Lamb hearts cooks out of a disused shopping trolley. <laughs> cool, so that's a Saturday. Get on time. And finally, um, I've got a roundup of all the interesting talks and lectures that go on this week. Oxford being Oxford, there are a lot of knowledgeable people around who want to talk about things. <laughs> and you can find out about them all on our lectures and meetings page. This week there are talks on what universities are for, Japanese theatre, Dutch old masters and the paradoxes of being busy, among others. But to pick out a couple that look especially interesting... That connected as one event. I was trying to find a link here. <laughs> Different talks. It's a symposium of things. Uh, did you know that Port Meadow was used in an airfield in World War One? 
That's the theme of a talk by local resident Peter Smith at the Museum of Oxford this Thursday, the 15th of September. It was a training zone for the Royal Flying Corps, which led to some tension with a local, local wolf called Freeman, who held grazing rights. Every morning, the cows and horses had to be shepherded off the land so the good planes could land safely. Uh, 17 pilots died over the course of the war at the site, reflecting the fact that training uh, statistically was more dangerous than combat in World War One because their aviation technology was rubbish. Oh, no. Quite rubbish. There is actually a memorial to the Port Meadow pilots uh, up in Walcott. But there are, because Port Meadow was used for pony racing um, in Victorian times, that's why in, in the north area there were all those flat bridges over the ditches. So they were used for racing. And that's one theory about why the trap grounds are called that. So that's the nature reserve just um, for the northeast side. Because the trap grounds, they were either used because that's where the colleges emptied their toilets or traps, or where they kept the traps for the ponies when they were racing. Your knowledge of Oxford trivia is really amazing, Michael. The talk's at 6pm on Thursday the 15th of September at the Museum of Oxford on all dates and it's free. So just turn up and grab a seat. Finally, there's a talk next Monday at the North Wall Centre that should please the pop psychologist in all of us. Oxford University psychologist Kevin Dutton is talking about the concept of the good psychopath. When we use the word psychopath day to day, we use it in a very different way to psychologists. For them, it's a specific diagnosis of different kinds of behaviours and characteristics, including charm, charisma, ruthlessness, fearlessness, calm under pressure, and focus. It's not an all or nothing diagnosis, it's a spectrum, and we're all somewhere along it. Sound a bit scary? Want to know more? Think that your boss might be a psychopath? <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, go along for talk, which is on at 7.30pm on Monday the 19th of September at the North Hall. Tickets are £10 or £8 for concessions. Um, and the glasses have just been collected by Charming Barkey uh, at the Big Sox. Which means it's time to go. I'm sorry, goodbye bye everybody, bye bye, but before we do... Uh, we have just launched a new site. You might have noticed um, if you're a big user. Um, so yeah, do let us know if you find any problems or what you think. Um, we're very excited about it because it's shiny and blue. So you should definitely watch our launch video, which features big red buttons being smashed in all shapes and sizes. Stop. Uh, that's on our YouTube channel, which also features quite a lot of stuff from Michael now. <laughs> I know, almost in the double figures of watches now. <laughs> Um, so yeah, if you want to be kept up to date with all the latest news in Oxford, then follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, and stay for Oxford. Yeah.